Thank you, Ernest. So this is a familiar, or, or for some, a famous passage. Uh, I'm going to go over it quickly again. It's known as the rich young ruler, but Matthew doesn't always name him as the rich young ruler. Uh, I believe Luke does. But this man who is well off, a young man who has many possessions, he comes to Jesus. He asks what he must do. He's kept all the commandments. He's lived this very right life. And Jesus sees him and he says, you know, if you want to be perfect, sell all you have, give to the poor and follow me. And the young man is very grieved uh, or sad because he can't do that. And he, he goes away grieved. And so the disciples are like, man, I mean, if he can't make it and he's done all these commandments, then who can? And Jesus says, you know, with, with us, with man, with woman, with humanity, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. And then he says, and I've referred to this uh, over the last couple weeks, the end of this chapter, that he who leaves uh, mother, father, sister, brother, uh, friends, family for Jesus will receive much more. He even says a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. So what do we, what do we make of this? You know, I've, I've titled this message, not that not that I put a lot into titles, and I don't think you should, but uh, just through the eye of a needle, because it is, uh, that has become a very famous slogan, even if you're not a Christian. Uh, many uh, know about that and refer to, yeah, this rich guy or this rich young guy who can't uh, give or can't give up, and Jesus says it's very hard for the wealthy, it's as hard as for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And a lot of folks, if you know your Bible, have <clears throat> suggested that there was a, a doorway in Jerusalem that it was very hard for camels to get through. And they said, that's, that's what Jesus was referring to. Uh, but I believe, and, and many others who, who know the Bible believe, know that Jesus was in fact being literal. Like it was a needle and a camel, uh, one of the smallest things that we can conceive of. And one of the largest things that you could conceive of, at least in that time, uh, that, you know, it's that hard, like a camel... You know, can't go through the eye of a needle, uh, but with God, all things are indeed possible. Now, to make uh, maybe some of you feel better, uh, this is the only time uh, in all of the Bible that God, or Jesus, and Jesus is God, okay, be clear, that Jesus uh, asks someone to give all of his wealth and all of his possessions away. So this is the only time, okay? Uh, that happens nowhere else. But for those of you who mentally might be going like, whew, it's okay, uh, this might apply to you, okay? Or he might ask you the same thing. Uh, the wealth, as, as we've talked about, uh, is, is good. It's a gift. Uh, but it can definitely hold us back. And for this young man, for the rich young ruler, uh, Jesus saw into his heart and that that was the most severe, the most significant idol. And for him to follow Jesus, he had to... He had to give it up. But that can be other things for us. But it could be wealth. So we've been talking over the last weeks about money, sex, and marriage. And we do these uh, in that order. Money, sex, marriage. So if you're, if you're trying to think about your schedule, about when and when not to come to church, okay? Uh, so that would be money's today, you know. So next week, 
it's coming, and then, and you're like, when are you going to stop this? Well, we could always go through a book of the Bible again, and some of you are like, no. Anyway, I'm making my point. Anyway, we will be going through this up until Advent, and I think it's just two, um, two or three, you know, very relevant things that, that some of us have challenges with, and we want to just hit them head on is what does the Bible say? And so here, this definitely applies to uh, those who have money, wealth, wealthy Christians. And often we compare ourselves here in Jackson or Metro Jackson or in this little corner of Northeast Jackson. And we easily get into the comparison game. But yet you go to a place uh, such as India or Calcutta. And we do come back. We're all wealthy. Uh, We're all in the 2%. And that's not saying... Uh, anything to make you feel guilty or anything, but it, it's, you go around and we're, we're in the 2% uh, in the world. So Jesus is saying it's tough for those of us, kind of putting me in this category, who have uh, to give. And so this, this message, I really want to ask the question. It's, not, it's really not specifically about money. It's more about what holds us back from giving, And maybe that giving is money or financial resources. Or maybe that giving is like our time or going. Or maybe that giving is just our entire life to Christ. And really, we're just playing a game. And really, I mean, I don't like the word fraudulent, but we're, you know, in terms of our, um, it's really not even a Christian walk, our religious walk, it's fraudulent because we're not giving our life to Christ. And that's what we want, that you give your entire life to Christ. We are, uh, we're in a season, and I've talked about this in the last few weeks, and we'll talk about it more, uh, of a, a word that I'm uh, not a huge fan of, but it, it is what it is, in a campaign to grow. Uh, to grow uh, this church. We believe that uh, if you've been with us in the past, uh, that we've exited a denomination, we've entered into a new network, that this is a new season in the life of this church, that uh, we've talked about this as elders, as deacons, we're reestablishing uh, in a new season. And we want to grow in three ways. We want to grow uh, in people, with new people, and some of you are new. We want to grow in our giving, to give more, to mission, to ministry, uh, for this property, to this church. We want to grow in going and opportunities. And I believe there's a, uh, there's a handout in the four-year two, and I encourage everybody, it'll keep being there. Pick it up, read it over, talk to us. You'll be hearing me say this. We're calling this new season Grow 3. We want to grow in these three ways, unapologetically. Uh, we'll be in this season for a while. We want to keep growing, keep going, keep giving for the Lord, for his kingdom. So my question for us today is, like, what holds us back from that? What, and I'm not talking about programs or, like, a, I'm talking about us individually, you. What holds you back from growing in Christ? What holds you back from giving uh, to Christ? And that may be talent, that may be time, that may be your tithe. What holds us back from going? What holds us back? And I think it's the same thing when this young man, this rich young ruler went away grieved. I've seen people be grieved here and not grieved at like human circumstances, grieved because of what they know God is asking of them. And they just can't go there. And maybe some of you have felt that. Like, man, God is is calling me to this. But the things of this world, they don't fade. The devil makes them stronger. They just latch on to us and pull us back. So, I want to list four things uh, quickly uh, today about maybe 
uh, why we might not give as much, why we uh, might be uh, grieved, and how we can move past that to give more, and yes, to give our lives to Jesus in whatever way or direction he's calling us, to go to neighbors and to nations. So, so four things quickly, and I think these things uh, actually get more serious uh, as, as they go on. But the first one, and using this passage, and using this young, rich man, First thing is he meets the real Jesus, okay? He's probably heard about Jesus. Maybe he has heard him teaching. But here it is direct. He's asking him these questions, and he confronts the real Jesus. And I say this to you because there is this difference, okay, when you meet the real Jesus, and he asks something of you. I want you all to all know this about Christianity. Christianity, when you get to the real deal, it's going to ask more of you than you ever realized, And you just have to go through the New Testament. I mean, Jesus is alluding at the end of this that people are going to give up brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and children and fields, which is wealth, because of my name. And they did. And I'm not saying all of you have to, but some of you may have to. But Christianity is going to ask us more than we really ever imagined. But it's also going to offer us more than we ever, ever dreamed. So many people in life that I talk to, that I get blessed to really counsel with, they're really just searching for purpose. I mean, like purpose of their existence. Uh, some find it in raising their kids, which is great. Uh, some find it in, in mission and ministry. But Christianity, I mean, you want purpose. Christianity gives you uh, that purpose. Even if you don't know what the next uh, month or day has for you. But Christianity is going to ask more of you than you realize, but it's going to offer you more. Then you realize whether you're in, in high school, college, young adult, single, married, have a family. And when we meet the real Jesus, there's really only two options. Either you bow down and worship or you walk away offended. Now, you can always come back, okay? But you're like, Why? what do you mean by that? walk away? Because what he's going to ask of you is like, I want your heart. I want your life. I want it all. I don't want it compartmentalized. I don't want a tenth. Jesus would say, I am not a tithe. I want it all. I want your heart. I want your mind. I want your actions. And that can offend some folk. It's a, it, I know. It offended me for years. Okay? But you can come back. Or you bow down and worship. And you say, you are my creator. You're also my savior. You're the giver of the good gifts. You have this plan and purpose for my life. I am fallen, I am prone to wander, and yet you relentlessly come after me. If you think of Christianity or church as something that's like, oh yeah, it's sweet, or it's comfortable, it's comfortable Christianity, then you haven't met the real Jesus. Or if you're like, yeah, it's kind of something that you know, I can do when I feel like it. You haven't met the real Jesus. If you feel like, oh, well, it kind of sometimes brings some like, anxiety or guilt of like, kind of, you know, how I'm bad or how I messed up, you haven't met the real Jesus. When you meet the real Jesus, one of two things will happen. You'll either bow down and worship or you'll be offended. Sometimes you may meet the real Jesus through a person. And so you're offended at Jesus and that person who's trying to present Jesus to you. Jesus asks it all because he paid it all. So this man, and what holds us back, he met the real Jesus. And he went away grieved. So what's Jesus asking of you? Have you met him? Are Are we in comfortable Christianity? That's the first thing. The second thing, Jesus really just smashes 
I use that word, I like that word, or destroys uh, two things that are uh, really like assumptions of religion or what we think of as religion. He just destroys them. Then, and they're very common today. What are they? That Christianity is something that you can just like add to your life uh, or that Christianity is something you do. Jesus destroys those. I mean, he, he actually says it. In terms of what you might add, verse 20, the rich young man says, what do I still lack? I followed all the commandments. I'm doing good. I'm a good citizen. And you know what's interesting here is I know a lot of folks who feel the same, that they're good citizens. They've done good, and they have some prosperity and wealth. And you know what's interesting? In our minds, a lot of times we attach, well, if you live a good life, you're going to be wealthy and prosperous. We connect those two. Now, that's not always the case in the Bible. You know, just ask Job. I mean, we can't ask him, he's not here. But you can look at Job. He was great. You know, it was all taken away. But we equate doing good, being good with you're going to be, you're going to get wealthy. You're going to be prosperous. It's not always the case. But this man, he's, he's done everything. He's a good citizen. He's a prominent member of probably Rotary Club or Lions Club, you know, whatever it is, or his community. I mean, he's the type people like we want in churches, you know. He's the guy who's like, man, we got to have that guy here, you know, when, you know, church rush commences, okay? You know, I don't know if you caught that, but anyway, that is what happens, by the way. So he says, you know, man, you know, what do I lack? What do I lack? Christianity is not something you just add to your life, okay? So Jesus smashes that notion. That's religion. You just add one piece. Well, I got to add church to life. Nicodemus asked the same question in John 3, which is the classic verse. We know John 3, 16. But Nicodemus said, you know, what must I do? And Jesus said, you must be born again. So how do I enter my mother's womb? Christianity is not adding a book. I'm a, I'm a reader, okay, so forgive me this metaphor. You know, adding a book to the shelf. Christianity smashes the library and builds a new one. It's a new house. It's not something you add. It's just, it's a totally new life, Jesus is saying. You're like, well, how do you mean saying a new life? Because he's asking this guy for a new life. Yeah, you've done everything, and you're, there's, you know there's still something off. So sell all that and follow me. That's totally new life. And then Christianity is not something that you, you do. That's the first thing he asked, actually. I went out of order there. I said lack... But the first thing is like, what good must I do to have eternal life? Did you catch that? What good must I do to have eternal life? Verse 16. I think so many of us, we fall into that trap in our minds. Like that's, we, we know we live in the Bible Belt. We know like we're saved by grace. Like we know the Sunday school answer. But in our minds, we're like, well, I got to do this good thing and then I'll have eternal life. Jesus smashes that then and now. Jesus destroys that then and now. And he's really saying, you know, bro, who is good? He's really saying, you're, you're not good. He's like, we're not good. He's, Jesus saying, no one's good. Jesus is actually very, very blunt here, as he is prone to do. Okay? Diplomacy and tact are not always Jesus' best. Uh, he's got a lot of gifts, but not necessarily diplomacy and tact. You're like, what do you mean? He's saying, nobody's good. It's just God that's good. And God gives grace. And God has saved us through Jesus through what he would do on the cross. 
So he's saying like, you know, it's not just about something you do. It's not just about something you add. You know, there, there are two ways to God, or we think there are two ways to God, and only one of them are, is true. I call them the horizontal and the vertical, okay? So we think the horizontal is the way to God. What I mean by the horizontal is here's your life, and you look horizontally across your life. You're like, okay, I help this person. Good thing. You know, I go to church. Good thing. I, Get involved in Bible study, good thing. I go to India on a mission trip. Wow, I'm really stepping up. You know, I'm, I'm really spreading out horizontally in my life to get to God. That's not how we get to God. It's vertical. It comes down on us. And the vertical cuts across the horizontal everything we do. That's what we're talking about when like lives are changed, when we receive grace, when we get what we just sang about, that we're prone to wander. We're even prone to wander in all the good acts and all the good things that we might lack. And the vertical grace falls down and we receive it. And yes, we are still called to go and do. I mean, we advocate that. We encourage that. But we want it to be an overflow, an outflow of what you've received, that love. That you're a child of God. That you're like, he's done so much. I'll, I'll give him everything, anything. I'll go wherever he says. And that horizontal life to neighbors and nations is this overflow. It doesn't save you. Trunk or treat's not going to save you. Going to India's not going to save you. Coming to church is not going to save you. Nothing we do saves us. It should be an overflow of the grace that we receive. It should be a response. That's what I want for this church. That's when true community really happens. The third thing that holds us back, that hold, held this man back, why he went away grieving is because Jesus got personal with him. Jesus got personal with him. And this is really the, maybe this is the toughest thing. You're like, how did he get personal? Because what do you ask? Verse 21, go sell your belongings, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Jesus saw his heart and soul, as Jesus does. And he's like, this thing is holding you back. Now, you might ask, well, why was it holding back? I know money, and, but I say wealth is good, and money is good. So how was it holding him back? Well, I believe it's like this, and this is why it can be everything. For the rich young ruler, his wealth, all of his possessions, what, what he was saying, hey, I can have that, and I can get joy and control and power through that without God. So what is that for you? Like, for example, maybe it would be, let's say this is not the marriage sermon, but like, or it's not the sex sermon, but maybe it is, uh, maybe it is being married with kids. And Jesus says, go and do this. Be willing to be single your entire life and follow me. Maybe that's it. (laughs) What is it for you? What is it that you're like, with this created thing, because wealth and possession is created, with this, I will have joy and control, which you really won't, okay? But I think I'll have joy and control and power without God. That's what we say, and that's what Jesus wants to take away. Because he's like, this is growing into an idol. He's saying, this is gonna destroy you, rich young ruler. You, you feel like you're in control. Uh, you've made money. That's probably made you like smart and sassy towards other people. It's probably grown even envy and jealousy for things that you don't have because it's never enough. It's never enough. 
Jesus saying, this is gonna destroy you. This thing, whatever it is, where you're like, have that. I can have control. I can have some semblance of power. And out of that, I'll get joy without God. And that's false. And that's false, I believe, for all humanity across all time. And it's the biggest trap the devil will throw at us. For... You know, going for students looking at college or going to college. Well, if I get in there, if I get in there, I thought that for a while. Um, If I get into that school, then that will open doors. If I get this job, then, you know, I'm set. If if I move into that uh, social circle, or maybe my kids can get me into that social circle, then I'll have some degree of power and control and joy. Jesus is saying to him, with wealth to us, like it's gonna destroy you. Anything that you think of will have that degree of power and capacity will become your master. So then for him, wealth is probably already his master. Then being in the right, having the right social connections will be your master. Being married with kids and the white picket fence will be your master. And so Jesus got personal. And when we meet the real Jesus, he gets personal with us. And that's why it's hard for us to give so much. And I'm not talking about money, but give our life. That's why sometimes people will go away grieving. But it's for our, he's, I want you to get this. He looks at this rich young ruler and he looks at you and he say it in love. He said, I gotta get this thing out because the only place you'll get real joy, real contentment, you'll have real sense of, of power because you'll have the peace and the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit is in God, is in me. That's what he's saying. Move this other stuff away. They're only, they are gifts and they're good gifts. But don't let them become your master. Don't let them rule over you. He's saying to the rich young ruler, let me decide how much money or wealth you have. Can you do that? Can you have that degree of, of peace and, and freedom? Where nothing that's created is your master. Only God is creator that's what i want for my life i want for the life of this church and then the last thing the last thing that he would that holds us back from giving of ourselves the last thing that it's the reason he walked away grieved is he doesn't understand this treasures in heaven because jesus says it you know says you can have treasure in heaven You will have treasure in heaven. The kingdom, we don't understand treasures in heaven. Jesus says this to us. He says, focus on your treasure in heaven. Your treasure in heaven. What is that? What is that? I would say two things real quick. Two things. One, is Jesus Christ, I'm really serious on this, is is Jesus Christ your treasure? So when Jesus is saying, you will have treasures in heaven, which he alludes to in several places in scripture. Often we think, or like I always think, of, yeah, I got like a lot of treasure chests in heaven, okay? I got like real treasure in heaven. But I think what he's meaning is, is Jesus Christ, am I your treasure? Jesus is saying. Is Jesus your treasure? And I think that's what he asks of the rich young ruler. I think that's what he asks of us. When we meet the real Jesus, he's like, make me your treasure, when, when we meet the real Jesus, he says, come to me, all you who are weary, I will give you rest. Come to me, make me your treasure. Why would you do that, okay? 
You might say, okay, well, I'll do that because, yeah, that's what I have to do, remember, to get salvation. And we fall back into that trap of religion. This, this is really, this is kind of the key pivot moment here. I don't know if you can feel kind of the heaviness. You probably don't. But the key moment, why would you make Jesus your treasure? Because the truth of the gospel, this is key. The truth of Christianity is that you are Jesus' treasure in heaven. You're like, well, how, how is that possible? Well, one, he's God, okay? So let's get that clear. He's fully God, fully man. But the whole thing about him dying for you, I mean, the whole thing about him conquering death, right now, what I believe, because it's biblical, because it's the gospel, is that you, by name, and I see a lot of your faces and call your names, but I won't, I'm not gonna call you out. But he, not only does he know you by name, but you're his treasure, the creator and savior of all treasures you. When you really get that, when that flows down, melts your heart, then you'll make him your treasure. And actually, that flows into everything else. After that, then it, it doesn't matter if it gets personal because you're like, you're my treasure. So, okay, well, you, you know my person, you know this, yeah, this, this idol and maybe it's wealth, maybe it's status, Maybe it's, you know, looking good. Maybe it's, being in the, maybe it's having the right vacations. Maybe it's, you know it, Jesus, but you're my treasure. So, yeah, work on me there. It keeps flowing, and you're like, yeah, it's not something I have to add, or it's not something I do. You're giving it to me, and I can go out in life, and I know that you destined the time that I'm here. I know you destined my relationships and my family and who I am going to marry or who I may not marry or who I'm just not going to marry. And you destined me with the, the kids and you destined me with passions and whether that be Jackson, Mississippi or Calcutta, India or leading small groups or being a pastor one day or whatever. It is. You're like, you wired me for that and I'm going to move into that. And when you call me home, Jesus, I will know, and I believe this, that my work here is done because I'd much rather be in heaven with you, and you would much rather me be in heaven with you as well, because I'm your treasure. That is the gospel. That is Christianity. That is life. It is a different way of looking at things. It's a different way of seeing your life. It's seeing a big God. It makes you go and love the other person. It impels you to go to the world. And not only have you met the real Jesus then, Yes, you've accepted the real Jesus. He is Lord. You meet the real Jesus, only two things can happen. One of two things. You either bow down and worship or you go away offended. I don't want anybody going away offended, but you might. Because that's one of the two responses. But we bow down and worship. We give everything. There's freedom. Nothing, nothing on this earth is your master. Not a person. Maybe not a parent. Not a, not a way of living, not a car, not a house, not a second home, not vacation schedule. Nothing is your master except your creator. That's what I want. Why is that? Because you're his treasure. Why are you your, you his treasure? Because what he did for us on the cross, which we're going we're gonna to live out now. So I invite you, what we're going to do is we're going to pray. Have open communion. Open communion, no ushers, as you're led. Come and take communion. We are a body. We are a community. You know, my brother, I do want to say this before we pray. 
and invite y'all. My brother, uh, Kevin Shoemaker, who preached last week, he said, I love doing it. He said, I love the way you do communion. He's like, because the loaf, it's like, it is one body. Yes, we say the body of Christ, but it's like all of us. Like, you know, it's one, like we're together as this church and you break off the piece that's, that's you and you take communion and you know what Jesus has done. So we are the body. We do this together. That's one of the reasons to do it as a body, as a community, as the family of Christ. If you, if you are not a Christian, if you're wrestling with God or Jesus, then biblically you're not supposed to take communion. This is for Christians. It can be a response that you can say, yes, hearing the gospel, I want to receive Jesus. And you can receive him in a moment. You can use the altars to pray. This is the opportunity that you can give. You can give. As God has given you, and we're very thankful for your gift. But it is simply an invitation it's really an invitation to bow before the Lord. Uh, kneel before him. Make him your Lord. I invite you all. You don't have to. Those who are helping me, y'all come on up and get ready. We're going to pray. Those who are leading us in worship, come on up, get ready. Um, and we'll come to the Lord's table together. As they're coming up, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks Uh, that you get personal with us. I know you get personal with these people here, not just on Sundays in a service, but in their life. I pray that you keep getting personal with them uh, to the point where they either, to the point where they do bow and kneel and make you Lord. And we just see many uh, multitudes of changed lives that come out of this church. And some may stay uh, and some may go as they're called uh, by you. Uh, to neighbors and nations. But I pray more of that, uh, that they would meet the real Jesus, that it would not be a comfortable Christianity, but it would be a powerful Christianity um, that, that melts hearts and changes minds and attitudes uh, towards our neighbors and towards our nations, and we grow as the body of Christ here because of what you've done. I thank you, Lord Jesus. I thank you personally that, that I'm one of your treasures, and I thank you that these people are your treasure. And I pray they would know that as real, that, that Lord, God, you, creator, savior, you treasure us so we can, we should uh, make you our, our one true treasure. In your name, amen.